Welcome to the Simply Youth Podcast, where the U in youth stands for you. Join us in chatting with some of the most successful Lebanese figures. Follow in their footsteps to write your own story. Tune in on the Simply Youth Podcast every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more platforms. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Simply Youth Podcast. Today, we are honored to have a very special guest. He's the founder and CEO of Speed, Lebanon's first startup accelerator prior to Speed. He worked at Skype and Microsoft Corporation in the U.S., having more than 11 years of experience in technology, both in startups and big tech firms. Please welcome the amazing Sami Abusal. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words and the intro. Uh, just to be uh, fair to everyone, uh, I was not the founder of Speed. I was uh, the first CEO, though. So, and I did actually uh, launch it, uh, just to be fair to everyone. And uh, yeah, by now, it's 15 years of experience. So can you give us please a brief introduction about Speed and how it started? Of course. Uh, so it was back in uh, 14 uh, when uh, the local VC scene was kind of uh, taking off and starting. It was following Circular 61 by the Central Bank of Lebanon. And uh, there were many VCs setting up uh, their operations and activity in Beirut. Uh, the thing though for them to have uh, a good quality uh, investment, they needed to have uh, good quality startups. And uh, that was something that they wanted to nurture, build and support. And internationally speaking, the best model to do that is by creating uh, startup accelerators. And that model allows uh, like uh, organizations like ours to come and eventually support startups at the early stage and to help them over a programmatic approach to put their business together, to uh, build the product, and then eventually to go to market, sell it, and uh, raise future rounds of fundraising with those VCs. So they decided to bring all the players uh, that were available back at the time to the table. So there were three VCs involved. There were two uh, uh, entrepreneurship support organizations. And all of these came together to launch the first ecosystem-backed uh, startup accelerator. Uh, so that's a little bit how it came together. Our mission from day one was to support startups at the early stage. Some of them have just simple ideas and they want to bring them to life. They have an ambition to grow them locally and internationally. Others had some early stage products, but they couldn't know how to sell it. And even some others had revenue and they wanted to uh, actually take that revenue, grow it and scale it up. So all of these were kind of early stage, uh, startups that would come our way and uh, we would support them with uh, what we do. So what made you interested in the world of technology and how would you describe the effects of the evolution of technology on the business world or the world as a whole? So that started at a young age for me. Personally, like uh, I got my first computer and back in the time, it was not typical for everyone to have a computer when I was 10 years old. Uh, so I got that computer and then I started playing around with things and I did see uh, that I have uh, some passion going on there and, and that's because of many things. So it was the early days of the internet and access to knowledge and information uh, was starting to become democratized through the internet. So there was that angle. There was the angle of uh, facilitating daily tasks and doing uh, kind of even school homework back then. Uh, over the computer. So I used to be the only one maybe who would come to school with their homework done on the computer uh, just because I used to enjoy putting things 
uh, using uh, productivity tools and others uh, when I do my homeworks. And uh, that showed me kind of the potential of where things can go. And then uh, as I grew up, uh, that's what pushed me to pursue computer engineering because I was so passionate about technology, what it can deliver, what kind of things can be done uh, with technology and how much these could be impactful on every day's life. Uh, I used to like uh, that things would look much more structured and organized sharper clearer using productivity tools i used to like that you can get information like with uh, a click of a button and i used to love the idea that using technology for instance uh, when like my brothers uh, left the country to go pursue studies abroad i used to uh, be able to connect them through uh, like uh, internet uh, calling which was something also very new back in the times here just for you to know we're talking uh, 1993 uh, time frame so uh, these kind of things showed me the potential of the internet from connectivity to access to information to productivity that evolved uh, with time. And when I finished my computer engineering degree, I actually worked uh, as a systems engineer for some time. I helped organizations uh, put together systems that would facilitate their day-to-day -day operations, that would make it much more efficient and that would also create uh, uh, tools for their uh, communication uh, on a daily basis. Uh, again, that was the first maybe five years. It grew a bit beyond that with me. I went pursued my MBA. Uh, I had a startup back then, uh, and eventually uh, that didn't work out very well, but I ended up joining Skype, and that <laughs> brings me back to the original, if you want, uh, thing that I, so at 10 years old, which is, okay, you can use the internet to connect people. And Skype was made for that initially. And the video feature of it even got people closer. And all these kind of uh, things make me even more passionate today. Clearly, this is evol uh, like evolving day by day. Now, we're not talking about only productivity and communication. Uh, these are actually even taken to the next step today. These are taken into some artificial intelligence, machine learning, things that happen in a much smoother and advanced way that uh, get people uh, more things done in a much easier way and in a uh, kind of also a neater way, let's say. So uh, clearly that's something that I'm still very passionate about and that I enjoy talking about or even working in. So most of our listeners are teenagers who have heard a lot about startups, but aren't really aware of the mechanism and process from the idea to the funding. So can you yeah. give us a, a two minute masterclass on how that works? So to simplify matters, uh, startup is just the word used for a, an entity or a company or an idea that potentially can grow in an exponential fashion meaning it can grow in a very fast way, what people in Silicon Valley call the hockey stick. So when you come up with an idea and you want to start building it and taking it to the next level, you need a couple of basic things. You need potentially a co-founder, someone who's complementing your skills because no one knows it all, no matter how smart or advanced they are. You always need someone to have the other side of the skills you might not have. Some people are creative, some people are analytical, some people are more on the uh, different kind of spectrum of skills. 
Uh, and you need some support to fund it because if you're building a product, you need to go pay maybe some fees to host it online or you need to pay some fees to do the hardware or buy the materials if there is a hardware in it. You always need some money to set it up. Uh, so that's where the idea of startup comes in together in a way that, okay, I have an idea, I have a team and I need to start building it. There are things I can do on my own. That's great. But there are things where I need support and funding on its own is not the, I would say, only and ultimate thing you would want to look for at an early stage. You also need the strategic support. And uh, that's why, for instance, uh, in a situation where you have an accelerator, that's uh, the important thing. And what we provide is not only the funding and the cash. Actually, we want to consider this as a secondary thing. The main thing we want to be providing is the actual strategic support that allows you to uh, kind of take your idea to the next level and grow it and sell it. And that goes along with any type of funding, whether it's an accelerator, which comes with strategic support of your program, or a venture capital fund, which also comes with strategic support of their advisory team, which is well tailored and developed to provide the right kind of uh, support for the startup, or which uh, also happens with angel investors, who eventually uh, can provide another type of strategic support from their own personal industry expertise into the area of the startup. So, and, and this is important because as a young entrepreneur trying to start a business and grow it, you might not have all the connections, you might not have all the knowledge, you might not have all the know-how of how to do certain matters. And that's where you need these kind of uh, support to either build the skills, connect with potential investors, or connect with uh, potential also customers who will be paying the bills as well. And uh, that will be also covering for your fees and saving you on looking for more, more uh, investment. So Speed selects around 20 startups per year over two cycles of three months each. What are the main criteria you look for in a qualified startup and what aspects you consider when evaluating a pitch? Sure. So uh, the first thing, and that's something maybe I highlighted when I was defining what a startup is, is definitely the team. So that's number one thing we look at in our selection. And it's about the team, the chemistry among the team members, the ability to execute on the team, meaning if they're able to execute on the startup. And when they're a bit more advanced entrepreneurs, not out of college only, that could be those who have some industry expertise in the industry of the startup. Uh, and for sure, the character of the entrepreneur is very important. We want to see people who are passionate, who are also motivated to do what they're doing. And at the same time, who are still willing to listen to feedback and to learn because the learning process is part of the journey. And uh, startups have to be able to be flexible and lean and evolve uh, very fast to adapt to market changes or to adapt also to a customer response on their products that might not be uh, final uh, in the early stage. So uh, uh, we also uh, can uh, think of the uh, other criteria in the startup and these criteria go along the actual market size. So if you're building a startup and you want to grow it and as we talk again about the uh, hyper growth scalability, uh, you don't want a startup that's just focused on a small market like, let's say, Labaron, 
uh, it's great to use it as a test market to start the business here. And there are a lot of things that you can try out and see if they work or not, since it might be a market you know very well. But eventually, you want to go and uh, do uh, a, a bigger market and to tackle that market. And for that purpose, when we're evaluating a startup, the second thing we look at is the market size. So is this startup looking and can tackle a market that's huge, that's big enough for it to really grow or not? And that's something we really care about. And last but not least is actually the idea itself. For us, the idea can change, can evolve, but it has to start somewhere. So we want to make sure that this idea is something that makes some sense and that can go somewhere. But to really, we would not judge the startup on its idea fully. It's just the first two are the most important for us. So being a Lebanese-based firm where funding isn't as available in other countries and investors do, do not want to risk their money, would you say it's a challenge to find new funding for your business? Yeah. So, look, this is definitely something that has evolved in, in the local uh, market and the economy. So it, with time, people are more and more willing to invest in startups. Is it more challenging here? Perhaps. In some cases, yes, it is. Uh, in some others, it's not. But the thing we tell startups all the time and founders is that if you are not successful fundraising yet, it means you did not find the right investor yet. It does not mean that your startup is always like not fundable and just not gonna work, not gonna make it. For sure, there are more difficulties in Lebanon, especially today. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should stop looking outside of Lebanon as well, because now also some money is coming from outside can go a much longer way than money uh, coming local. And even with uh, like the situation uh, that we have uh, in the current circumstances, uh, people are actually uh, more, uh, if you want, willing to invest in startups because the risk they're taking in putting their money in a startup might be sometimes lower than the bank uh, deposit risk or the market risk. So uh, that's how people are thinking about it today. And to give you a more proof point on that, a uh, couple of our startups were actually successful in fundraising uh, in the month of uh, March and April. And uh, they both were able to actually secure international investors. And the third one right now is fundraising around with a local uh, investor. So it's just about figuring out the right story to tell and the right investor who is convinced in that story. So how did COVID-19 disturb the business operations in most startups? And do you consider it to be a positive shift towards the world of non-contact virtual business? So... Uh, for me, COVID-19 did something amazing uh, for at least some startups and for technology in general. Typically, many of the startups which are based on things that can be done online or through an app or virtually or whatever it is, like communication tools similar to Zoom or others, these used to take the startup and the company who were building those products uh, months and years to make people aware of the value of the product and to disrupt the existing traditional way of doing things and move it in that direction. When COVID-19 happened, people were forced overnight to adopt these technologies, to use them, leverage them, and to make them their kind of number one way of doing things, not as a plan B or plan C sometimes of doing things. 
So in that sense, it did really disrupt things like tremendously. And the second part, there are other startups who were negatively disrupted. And that's because they either couldn't pivot fast enough, they couldn't uh, do things differently, or it's simply that their business model and their actual startup business uh, was not uh, valid for a virtual world like the one we're living in today. Uh, and I would not generalize and say, well, if that didn't happen, then uh, that means that startup was not meant to be. No, I think in some cases it did hurt some startups, and we have to acknowledge that and give credit to those founders as well who worked really hard to make it happen, but then COVID came at the wrong timing. So there is always that matter of timing for some of them. But uh, eventually, uh, what I would say as well on, on, on this point uh, is that if, if you're a startup and you're able to go through this kind of difficult time, which is COVID and pandemic and lockdowns and all the kind of things, the chances for you to survive on the long run are probably much higher than any other time. So this is kind of uh, accelerating the road either to success or to failure uh, without people uh, being maybe completely aware of it with all the mishaps for those who maybe were meant to succeed, but then COVID really did not allow that to. So that's how I would summarize this. So which do you consider to be much more effective? An ambitious master plan that will change the business forever or a simple realistic idea and business model? I, I, I would go with a simple realistic uh, idea and business model because uh, for you to be able to make a major change, uh, it does not happen overnight. It takes a lot of work and effort and a huge, uh, maybe sometimes, team and investment. Uh, it's rare that this happens with just a couple of founders, with, of course, some of the major exceptions that are still out there that happen that way. So you think Google was started by two founders and look where it is today. You think of Microsoft, same story between Bill Gates and Paul Allen, and then uh, some others who happened with people who wanted to change the world. If you think, just to give a couple of examples, for instance, Bill Gates wanted to put a, a computer on every desk. Now we have probably a computer in every pocket today. Uh, so he achieved kind of that mission and goal, and that changed the world. Facebook wanted to connect everyone around the planet. They achieved that goal. Google wanted to democratize information. They achieved it. So, but all of these, even if you were to think of them, they did not start uh, just with that. They evolved into that. They started with a simple idea and a business model. For instance, Microsoft, they decided to go and provide the operating system that allows certain computers to run and operate. And that enabled people to interact with those machines and to make them more useful uh, with time. And that's the strength. It was a simple idea, but then evolved. Facebook, it started at the university. It was not also uh, maybe thought of initially as it's going to connect everyone. It was going to initially connect students in the same network to have an online way to be available on some presence, sharing some of their life there, and then eventually getting to uh, connect. And then it evolved to become what we know it is today and probably still evolving. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely look for a simple, realistic, achievable idea because uh, that can sell, that can eventually scale, and that can evolve and grow and you can build on top of it once you have enough traction. 
if you start from day one with a major and huge thing, you're going to be probably hit with so many obstacles where you see that, okay, I'm building so many features, so many things, and none of them have got enough traction. I couldn't fine tune any of that. And I don't have yet something that everybody wants. So you're better off with a simple approach. So you mentioned university. Now, say an undergraduate student startup got much more funding and success than expected, and it turned out to be a full-time job. So basically, you cannot really waste such an opportunity. So would you have jumped ship or been committed to your education? So, uh, look, uh, I'm in the entrepreneurship world, but at the same time, I've pursued my degrees fully, whether it was my undergrad or my MBA later on. Uh, so I'm in a situation where I would usually still tell people to uh, at some point finish their degrees. But if, if you feel uh, you're, again, I'm going to go back to these examples because these are exactly the ones that have dropped out from college for that purpose. If you go back to the example of Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, they both dropped out of Harvard to go pursue their idea and start up and kind of make it happen. And they did make it happen. And eventually, their alma mater invited them back and gave them degrees and doctorates even without them doing the studies because these are people who were like really geniuses and they were at a time uh, where they saw the opportunity and they saw they could make it happen and uh, they made it happen. But again, here you have something we call the information bias. So we only know what we know. I'm pretty sure that there are so many dropouts out there that maybe never made it anywhere. And those who not hear of them or know of them because uh, simply uh, they did not make it so no one is talking about them. Uh, and hopefully after they dropped out, it didn't work and whatever kind of uh, failure they went through, they learned from that. And that on its own is a major learning. And whether they continued their degree or not, that's a different story. But the world is evolving today towards more practical experience than actual degrees. We started seeing the likes of, again, the top tech companies in the world recruiting people who have no degree but have the right skill set and they would recruit them based on that and they are getting paid uh, more in, uh, than people who have degrees at some points. Uh, again, I would not tell people to go drop out. Uh, this is at least my profile. But uh, I can tell that uh, it's not something bad to not pursue university or to drop out because I think uh, many things can be learned uh, on your own. Uh, people have different natural skills and not every educational system is adapted to people's skills. In some cases, people are better off uh, doing self-education and not even going to any college whatsoever, even in high school, I would say. But you also have to point out the difference between the dropouts in the U.S. and the dropouts here in Lebanon. There we have a proper ecosystem of resources, funding, mentorship. So I just want to ask, True. have the governmental promises to foster a proper environment for startups ha have been achieved in terms of digitalization of paperwork, funding, infrastructure, and updated taxation laws? So you're talking about Lebanon? Yes. So... Uh, that's something, honestly, that has been worked heavily on in the past. Uh, there are so many proposals for uh, changing certain laws, for changing regulations, making them much more startup friendly, uh, introducing uh, new tax cuts and other things for investors to jump on board, all these kind of matters. Now, unfortunately, 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 these are not a priority today due to everything else going on. And I wish it was the opposite. 
but these are crucial for the long-term success of such an ecosystem and entrepreneurship and innovation. Uh, today, you're probably right that we don't have it all yet. Uh, we have some of that. But also today, we live in a very global world. Like, I understand the focus on Lebanon and on us being here and trying to start things here. But given, like, everything is online, everything can go and be sold, like, anywhere in the world. Uh, stuff can uh, be uh, exported or even uh, kind of shipped using the normal shipping uh, methods today. And there are a couple of those even from Lebanon. Uh, I don't think you should think just locally and based on the country you live in. Uh, remote work is the norm even right now due to COVID. Even some companies have jobs that are titled as remote and they don't care where you are as long as you're doing the job. Which means even if you drop out from college, you do something great and you go with it, it doesn't even have to have Lebanon as its market. It doesn't even have to have anything that's related to your local market as the main go-to uh, you can incorporate anywhere, you can do like technically what you want. Uh, of course, uh, I'm, not, I'm in no position to advocate for that, but uh, at the same time, uh, we have to be realistic on in which world we live in. And we live in a global world, and you have to act based on that. You have to start with that in mind, and otherwise you'd be limiting your potential, limiting your market, limiting your scalability, and everything else. So. Yes, there are limitations in the local market, but you don't care. You talked before on the need of like foreign money to circulate within the Lebanese market. So how does Speed try to attract Lebanese expect diaspora? And how much are they inclined to come back and invest in Lebanon, which is a very unstable country with a terrible monetary rating? Yeah. So we've worked on this heavily in the past and we've succeeded uh, to attract 12 out of our 42 startups we had a co-founder who came back from diaspora and to build the startup from Beirut. Uh, Lebanese have that uh, kind of love-hate relationship with the country wherever they go and forever they keep this with them. When I lived abroad, I had also the same feeling where, okay, I'm doing great here, but I feel like I want to be back in Lebanon. There are so many things in this country that make you want to be here with all the other bad things maybe happening today. Uh, and, uh, and on that, uh, we have done many, many initiatives for that. So the first and the most uh, important is our partnership from day zero with uh, LabNet, which is a network of Lebanese technology executives that is based in Silicon Valley, but that covers 11 US and Canadian cities. So they are in San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, in Seattle, in New York, in Austin, in Boston, in uh, Montreal, in Toronto, and in Vancouver. So if you think of the uh, kind of breadth of that network and the support it can bring, it's tremendous. And for instance, what we did at Speed is that every cycle, we would uh, get startups to apply for an immersion program to send them to Silicon Valley. And that immersion program is a program managed and ran by this LabNet network that has 1,300 members. So they go there, they get to uh, get mentored and coached by those technology executives that are originally Lebanese, who some of them are at the CEO and founder levels of multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, and at the same time, this gets complemented by a, a local provider of some immersion program. So we have dealt in the past with uh, a black box, which runs a program for Google Ventures, for instance, where we sent our startups to their program, to the black box program. 
And we have dealt also with the French Tech Hub and with Draper University. And that led actually one of our startups to recently receive an investment from Draper University based on their uh, kind of immersion program that they went through uh, with, with that. So th that's one of the major things we've done for attracting the diaspora first to support and second to look at potentially investing or even coming and building their startups from Beirut because they have that attachment. And if they already think global because they live also internationally and that gave them a little bit that global mindset, then it's even uh, better for their potential of success. And it worked. Like these startups did really well part of our startups. Uh, other things we've done is that we opened the network not only to just Lebanese diaspora, we opened uh, uh, the market for our startups who are coming to speed to access almost any market in the world. And that's by building other kinds of partnerships. So Speed partnered with Time and became the local ambassador for Seed Stars, a Swiss-based organization that supports startups and entrepreneurs over 80 uh, emerging countries. And in 2018, we even brought them to Beirut to do the MENA Summit in Beirut with 15 countries represented here who brought with them their investors and mentors. And that was a great exchange of knowledge uh, and knowledge transfer between uh, those 15 countries and the startups from Lebanon. Uh, we also, in 2018, became the first partner ever for the top accelerator in the world, which is Techstars. And Techstars has more than 50 locations around the world. And with that partnership we uh, were able to secure, we actually uh, got a program by which we can leverage their best practices and network and everything. But also we can fast track startups to any of those 50 programs uh, with a referral program. Uh, so that's another way where we opened new markets and uh, additional funding for the startups. And last but not least, we are also part of a, a member of the Global Accelerator Network that was initially started by Techstars, but that evolved to be an independent organization that today includes 110 accelerators around the world. And through that, we also get that kind of access to these 110 accelerators that are in every corner of the globe, you name it, from Australia all the way to Hawaii and beyond. And we get our startups also uh, any kind of support they would need because all of these are accessible to us. And similar to Speed and Lebanon, each one of these accelerators have their own community and local support ecosystem. So that's a little bit how we managed to kind of do these things. Maybe that's a long answer, but I think it's important to highlight the value of also thinking and operating in a way that's global by nature and bringing that international value as well to any founder coming our way. So last question, what would you say to aspiring young Lebanese entrepreneurs who feel like Lebanon has taken away their dreams and future? Uh, I would tell them that no one and nothing should take away anyone's dreams. I think if you believe in it, you should simply pursue it without any reservation. There might be obstacles along the way, but there is nothing that cannot be solved. And whatever situation the country is going in, everything changes, it's cyclical in life. Uh, maybe that's a bad period, things will evolve to a better one. If the country today cannot provide you with the right opportunity to grow your startup, you can always leverage the network of the likes of Speed and others to grow internationally. So if you really believe in your dream, if you really be, are ambitious enough to make your idea happen, pursue it no matter what. And there is no better time probably pursuing it than today, because otherwise maybe your options even staying in the country today might not be 
best ones. So if you have an idea and you have a big dream, just focus on it. Remove the noise of the market and everything happening around you, of course, as much as possible, and focus on what you want to do. Do it best, grow it, and then uh, the sky is your limit. Like things will open up for you. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. I personally, I'm gonna enter like computer engineering major this year. I have a really strong entrepreneurial mind. So like, so does like a lot. Amazing. These teenagers. So that was really inspiring and helpful. So thank you again. No, definitely my pleasure, and of course, uh, always uh, happy to to share my uh, learnings and experience in this field, and to discuss those with anyone. So definitely my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me.